again, thank you so much for welcoming me here. It's good to be back in Birmingham after a few years away. And to see Deb, whom I've not seen in about eight years, as well as Andrew and Joe Gibbs. It's just, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for, for coming. A reading from the Gospel of John. Jesus said, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that we may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met with his disciples there. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns, torches, weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. So the soldiers, their officers, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Into the belly of the beast is where we're headed today. That was a, a long reading, but I think it's the way it flows and the transition from the prayer to the narrative is so beautiful. And so John's intentional description of what's going on here in this event, um, if we take the time to read it, it, it leaves me breathless. Uh, there's this passionate theologically soaring prayer of Jesus to his Father. The, the you are in me and I am in you and we're going to be in them. All of this inclusive language about uh, adoption into the family of God and being sent by the Father to do this. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. 
they may be in us. Well, that sounds great, but how does that happen? Is Jesus going to wave a magic wand? Is he just going to speak it into existence like at the beginning of creation? How is he going to accomplish this union? May they also be in us and believe that you have sent me. So is he going to do some cosmic magic trick? Or, on the other hand, is he going to leave it up to us? Is Jesus simply going to open the door and say, come in? Is he going to leave us a map? This is the way you become included in this life of Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, as we hear from a portion of our reading today, it's not going to be that easy. Let's remember what John tells us about Christ's arrival to us at the beginning of his gospel. Very familiar words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. Without Him, not one thing came into being. Jesus connected to every single thing in creation. He was in the world, and the world came into being through Him, yet the world didn't know Him. He came to what was His own. And his own people did not accept him. So it's not going to be easy. Although he created us, we don't accept him. So it looks like simply leaving us an inerrant workbook is not going to work. Because we're not going to do it. We're not going to follow him. We're not going to accept what he has to say. So how can Jesus deal with our sin? Which is, at bottom line, our unbelief. We don't believe Him. We don't believe, as we heard in this passage, that the Father actually is good and has sent Him to us. Unbelief, sin. How is He going to deal with our transgression, the breaking of law? These things that He says, this is, this is how we interact with one another. This is how people treat one another. This is the way we conduct ourselves. And as we transgress, how is Jesus going to deal with us? And perhaps... Even the most challenging, iniquity. Iniquity, defined, is this. It's a premeditated choice. Continuing without repentance. It's the end impact of law-breaking. So in fact, how is Jesus going to deal with our iniquity, which is us shaking our fist at God and saying, I don't want anything to do with you. Let's listen again to the final portion of uh, this verse in John 17. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus is saying, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to find you, and I'm going to make my Father's name known to you. And I'm coming so that the love which my Father and I share will be in you also. And this is the mission of Christ. So this continuation from the high priestly prayer into this narrative, which you've just heard about Jesus being arrested, is Jesus then proceeding forward into the belly of the beast to accomplish what he's come to do. 
Because this is where he's going to find us. As we heard, Jesus is met by a band or a cohort of Roman soldiers. A cohort is typically listed as 600 men. We don't know how many actually came out to see him, but 600 is quite a few. Uh, Suffice it to say there were going to be plenty there to arrest this one man, Jesus. He is also met by the Jewish police, the temple henchmen who were employed to do the dirty work of the Pharisees and the priestly classes. They're the religious cops, if you will. So they've come out with the Roman soldiers. And finally, we have one of Jesus' disciples, his friend Judas, one of the twelve. And, of course, as you think about it, they've shared the road together for several years. They've shared their lives together. They've uh, broken bread together. Judas has been there to witness miracles at the hands of Jesus. He's no stranger to who this man is. They're, They're friends. So as we imagine this scene, this mob of men coming to get Jesus with torches and lanterns, their weapons glinting in the light, Nerves are on edge because it's the Passover festival and that always ratchets up some anxiety between the Jewish followers and the the Roman Empire. So anxiety is is ratcheted up, but this year even more so because of Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem. And human political strength through the Roman Empire, the religious systems of the day, and even his own friend, Assemble and look at him and say, in no uncertain terms, our will is that you die. Iniquity is rearing its ugly head. Jesus, it says, then knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked him, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replies, I'm he. And in Greek, this is ego me, I am, which you'll remember, sounds familiar from uh, God telling Moses who he is, I am. And when Jesus says this to him, they fall to the ground. What an incredible scene that must have been. However many men were there, the creator of all things, we just heard a second ago in the beginning of John's gospel that not one thing was created without him. He comes to his own, he's standing before his creation, and he says, I'm the man. And they fall down, they fall to the ground, which I think is in one aspect, Jesus saying, no one's taking my life from me. What's about to happen is because I lay it down. This is very intentional. God's doing this through Christ on purpose. He's submitting to our iniquity in the belly of the beast. We are, in fact, pouring out our wrath upon him. So I think of it actually as a a turn on, you know, Jonathan Edwards preached that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I think he's actually got it backwards. I think it's God in the hands of angry sinners. The drama is going to play itself out, and you'll live it here next week at the Church of the Advent. The Jews, the, the religious leaders of the day, are going to betray their own faith, caught so deeply in their iniquity and their hatred of God that they will scream out, We have no king but Caesar. Think about how incredible it is that the religious leaders are going to say that. 
we have no king but Caesar. Well, my life has been a roller coaster of spiritual arrogance, loneliness, guilt, shame, resentment from the sin, transgression, and iniquity that's cropped up in my life. I've been blinded on the one hand by my seeming ethical pride of patting myself on the back when I felt like I was doing pretty well in the sight of God, as well as, on the other hand, the resentment that I might feel at His supposed distance from me, that I can't seem to see Him or please Him. So what we're here in this narrative today, we all at some point live in some respect in our own lives. But Jesus comes to meet us in our darkness, our blackness of heart and mind, where we can't see God at all. Remember, Jesus says, I'm making your name known to them. When, we, when that name is obscured to us, the goodness of God, He comes to meet us there. And this is why I think that's important. You see, if Christ doesn't have our betrayal, if He doesn't have our blindness, if He doesn't have our brokenness, what part of us has He got? What part of us does He have? Some part we think may be cleaned up and presented well. Where is that line drawn? If He doesn't have our betrayal, blindness, and brokenness, what does He have? Gregory of Nazianzus, one of the Cappadocian fathers, will put it this way. I love it. so succinct. He says, what is not assumed is not healed. He better take the whole bloody lot of what I've got, because if he doesn't, then that's not healed in him. Into the belly of the beast, I am, the great I am comes to his own, and we receive him not. The narrative then concludes this way. Simon Peter and another disciple follow Jesus, and you know they go to the courtyard. The woman comes down and says to Peter, Are you not also one of this man's disciples? And Peter says, I am not. I am not. And this is the fight of faith. It's not how can I get to God or inside the fellowship of God, but how do I see the reality of who Christ is and what He's done when I think that I am not. Now, I grew up in a, a Christian faith being taught that uh, faith was a currency. I grew up in pretty fundamentalist Pentecostalism. You can say amen. <laughs> And I was taught that faith was a currency with which I could purchase salvation or good health or wealth or joy or a spouse or obedient children or a good job or a better parking spot or uh, the ability to open any door that I decided was good for me. So it was based on my performance, how I applied my faith. And what I learned over the years was tragic because instead of that, when things didn't go the way I thought they should go, what I concluded was, I am not a man of faith. I am not lovable. I am not valuable. I am not safe. I am not necessary. And it doesn't just take fundamentalist Pentecostalism to do that. 
the world on its own will come to you and pressure you and the voices in your head will say, I am not. You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? I am not. Because I believe that this Christian life was up to me and to my faith and how I applied it, I spiraled inward, hating myself. And when it's up to us, theologian James Torrance, one of my heroes, says that when the gospel is presented to us in this fashion, we throw people back upon themselves. And when this happens, buckle up. There's only one outcome. Sin, transgression, iniquity. You see, I had treated Jesus more like an urban legend than the Son of God. And I don't believe my story's isolated. But into the belly of the beast, Jesus comes. He meets us in our betrayal, our blindness, and our brokenness. And He takes the whole filthy mess where we cannot see God at all, and He takes it into Himself. I made your name known to them. And Jesus says, I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Despite betrayal, iniquity, our apathetic mess, Christ comes to reveal the Father to us. His love, His passion for His creation, submitting to our blind hatred, bringing light into the belly of the beast. God's name and His character being made known to His creation. The I Am has come to rescue the I Am Not. Amen.